I'm ashamed to say that uh, I was just reminded by Tom that I'm doing the readings tonight. So uh, it's been a busy week. Um, so this might take me a little while to get to all of them all. We've got uh, four short readings today, so I won't give out uh, page numbers. So the first one is Psalm 68, uh, verses 4 to 6. Um, and now for the first time in my life, I can't find the book of Psalms. Here it is. Okay, 68 verses 4 to 6. So the next page. There we go, okay. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest. And God, our God, will bless us. The next is um, Mark 10, verses 13 to 16. Uh, yes, 13 to 16. <clears throat> People will bring little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Uh, the next is 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters, with absolute purity. And finally, James 1, verses 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. Great. Well done, Pete. I'm sorry that the, uh, the Sunday where you weren't sure you were reading was one where I've chosen four passages, which is a bit unfortunate, but there we go. So I don't know what sort of week you've had, why don't you just turn to your neighbor and just share maybe what sort of week it was. Maybe one highlight, one low light, whatever you want to share. Off you go. Okay. So, hopefully you found out a little bit more about each other. Um, I don't know whether your week was a good one or not. Um, hopefully uh, it wasn't too uh, spoiled by the cricket. If you didn't... If you, Mike actually prayed in the last service. It might have been a joke that England would win the cricket. Little did he know that he'd already lost it two hours earlier. So obviously things did not go well on the cricket front. But for my family personally, it's been a good week because we found out we're having a boy this week. Yeah. 
So I have already investigated uh, season tickets for children at the, at the new Olympic Stadium uh, to watch West Ham. So this is all very exciting. We're going to have one of each. Um, but on Monday morning, before the scan, uh, we actually took the opportunity to ask Clara a question that we'd asked her a couple of months ago, which is, do you want a boy or a girl? And you might remember two months ago, she said boy, and when we asked her uh, what name we should call him, she suggested daddy. Well, things, <laughs> things have moved on. So um, we asked her on Monday morning, uh, before the scan, Clara, what do you want, a boy or a girl? And she said, girl. So things have developed, and, uh, and I said, so, so Clara, what will we call her? And she paused for a moment and then said really confidently, Adiba. <laughs> and we just, we just thought, what? <laughs> Adiba? And uh, I mean, she, daddy is one of her favorite words. She used to call Kate Baba. So is this some sort of combo of the two names? So, oh, she's just made it up. But either way, we said, that's fine, Clara. We'll, we'll put that on the list. Um, <laughs> Didn't think anything more of it. She was very disappointed when we came back in from the scan and said we're having a boy. And she said, no, mummy, girl. As if we could still change it, but there we go. Uh, doesn't yet understand the fine details of, of human reproduction. But um, Now, I thought nothing more of this until I was looking for a joke to begin the sermon with. And I decided to Google search um, on Thursday um, the name Adiba. You know, just on the off chance that it might actually be a name. And lo and behold... I put in Adiba, and it comes up with this really, really f a common name in the Arabic world. So Adiba is actually a very, very, very common name, and it's a lovely name. And it means this, polite, refined, and cultured. <laughs> there we go. Isn't that amazing? So now I know my just-turned-two-year-old daughter can read, can type, can spell, can search on the internet, and she's either a Muslim or a snob. So, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> So there we go. So that's been a good week for us. So that's my family. But today, we're thinking about the big family. You've probably heard this expression, haven't you? If, certainly if you're not a visitor here tonight. It's an expression, that, a phrase that we've been using since as a staff team back in the autumn, we really prayed into what, would, what was God calling us to be as a church. And others have prayed into that as well. And this phrase, building a big family, has come through so clearly. And it, and it just captures really important things for us. On the one hand, yes, of course, we are a big church, albeit with four different congregations, and we hope and expect to grow bigger still. But it captures something else really important, doesn't it? That we're not actually simply, or, or we're not actually fellow consumers, as it were, of spiritual services that a church might offer. We're also um, not simply members of a Christian club. Actually, we're part of something far closer, far more meaningful. We're a family. So we're taking the opportunity today across all of our services just to unpack a little bit more what that means. I'm going to share five implications of that phrase. You'll see that they draw on those passages that we heard read. Uh, well, three of them anyway. One of them was the wrong passage, Pete, but don't worry about that. <laughs> um, there we go. So um, you'll see it's a biblical thing, I believe, as well. But let's just pray that God will really speak to us through it now. Father, we thank you that we can be a big family together that we can be intimate and close, and yet we can also be part of something big and something growing that you're at work here in. So Lord, we pray tonight you'd help us to really get excited about what it means to be a family and how we can really live that out 
and how it can make a difference to our lives and to those that we bless. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's get underway. And I want to start with what is perhaps the most obvious implication of this phrase, the big family. And that is that there's something really important and permanent that we all have in common. Which is, of course, that we're all adopted children of God. In that sense, we are part of one big family in the universal church across the whole world through all time. And yet here too, we have been built into a family and we share something so important in our faith, in our relationship with God, in being forgiven through the work of Jesus, that actually what we share together is actually more important than anything else. And Jesus made this point, if you're uh, doubting what I'm saying, he made it actually very provocatively and very memorably. Now, we didn't hear this passage, but it's one you might be familiar with. Mark 3, very early in Jesus' ministry, and crowds have started to follow him. And so how did his family react, his biological family? They concluded he was out of his mind. I think my parents have done that once or twice with me, but uh, that's what they did. They went and searched for him. His brother's and maybe his mother as well, to drag him out of a place where he was preaching. And they couldn't get near him. There were so many people there. But they managed to persuade someone in the crowd to come and relay a message to Jesus. Your, your mum and your brothers are outside. They want to take you away. And this is what Jesus said. Very, very memorable words. He said, your mothers and brothers, he was told, your mothers and brothers are outside looking for you. And he replied, who are my mother and my brothers? And then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, I don't suggest you repeat those words to your own families, but Jesus is making a point, as he often did provocatively. But he's saying something, that there is something so, so important about whether you're following me or not whether you're doing the will of God or not. And actually, that is more important in the grand scheme of things in eternity than anything else, than who your parents are, where you grew up, where you come from. What really matters is your eternal future, where you're going. Are you following Jesus? Are you doing his will? Or are you ignoring him? That is the most important question in all of our lives. So in the light of that then, there's a second implication of this big family idea that we all need spiritual parents, spiritual siblings, and spiritual children, whatever biological family we may or may not happen to have. And to be honest, those of us who've been converted from non-Christian families know this so well. Like my wife Kate, from a family that had no Christian contact really whatsoever, she became a Christian at 16. And the person that became so important to her in her journey of faith from then on was an older lady who took her under her wing and really became, if you like, a spiritual mother to her. Maybe you can identify someone similar in your own life. Or maybe you wish that you had someone like that, a spiritual parent who can help you in your journey of faith, living for God. 
Well, we only need to remember those people, don't we, if you've known someone like that, just to realize how important that is. Often it makes the complete difference to someone going on in the faith or not. But this is the question I want to ask us tonight. The first question I want to ask us is, do you currently have a relationship like that? Do you have someone, if you like, who is nurturing you, if you're young particularly? You never get too old for someone to help you in that way. Is there someone who's really encouraging you in your faith? Someone who's really getting to know you and bringing their wisdom, their experience to bear in your life? Or maybe you're someone who would really value someone who was standing alongside you as an equal, a spiritual brother or sister, someone who walks with you and you share your journeys together and you're encouraged and strengthened through that. Or maybe actually you're someone who's got quite a lot of experience now, quite a lot of maturity, and God could use you to get alongside someone younger, maybe in years, maybe simply in the faith. What would God want to do in your life right now? Do you have a spiritual parent, a spiritual child, a spiritual grandchild, a spiritual brother or sister? God loves to use us to encourage each other. Is that what he's wanting to do in your life right now? Well, that passage we heard from 1 Timothy was very striking, wasn't it? Because it, I'll just read the words to you again, and it really conveys this sense that actually God wants us to see everyone that we know in our church actually as part of our family, and in that sense, like a father, mother, or brother, or sister. So Paul said this, 1 Timothy, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he was your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Now what do these verses imply? Well, that on one level we should regard everyone actually as part of our spiritual family and as significant and important and as valuable and as special as our own parents or siblings or children are to us. Now that letter, of course, was written to Timothy. He was a leader, but actually elsewhere, I think the Bible makes clear that it's not just Timothy who's called to treat people in that kind of way, but actually we all have a spiritual responsibility for each other. Now, how do I know that? Well, because I think the rest of the New Testament makes that clear. We're not sort of individuals that God calls to follow him, and we just gather together, meet with God individually, go away individually, and carry on on our individual lives. He actually wants us all to be invested in each other's growth. He wants us to take pride and be delighted when each other is growing, and not just when we are. And equally, he wants us to be concerned and he wants us to be praying in response whenever any of us are struggling. This is the picture here, that we're actually responsible for each other. And when we grasp that responsibility, then actually, together, we all grow closer to God. So that's the model. And let me read some verses from Romans 12 that I think when we have that in our mind, really capture that sense of what it means to be an active family taking responsibility for each other um, in this way. So this is Romans 12, starting at verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. That's the starting point 
if you like. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Paul wants us to keep that fervor in each other, making each other zealous for God, where our passion, our enthusiasm rubs off on each other like a spark that lights a fire. And he goes on, verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. We meet the practical needs. We meet the needs for friendship, for fellowship, just to get to know each other over a meal, over a drink. That's part of what we're called to do as well. And then the next instruction, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. We're to share our emotional needs, our emotional ups and downs as well. I've met people, you know, who, who say to me, actually, no one really knows me. People say hello. They say, how are you? And I say, oh, I'm fine, because that's just what you do. But actually, the vision for the church that Paul has here is where we actually answer honestly. And we actually tell people and share with people how we're actually doing. And so what happens when they're going through downs? We share that with them. We mourn with those who mourn. And when they're celebrating, we celebrate with them. That is the picture. We're all in it together, just like a biological family would be. We're all invested in each other. We share what's going on in our lives. And we find ourselves encouraged and supported and comforted by each other when we do it. So... That's that second uh, thing that I want to talk about, that we all have spiritual responsibility for each other. Here's the third thing, I want, the implication I want to bring out of this big family idea, that absolutely everyone matters. Absolutely everyone matters. And verse uh, 16 of that same passage in Romans 12 says this, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. And the implication is that being a big family means we include people of any position, any background, any race, any personality type, any ability level, and even any actually stage on the Christian journey, any age, any gender. This is the picture there is no sense in which Paul can even countenance the idea of a spiritual in-crowd or spiritual cliques. If we're to be a big family, it has to be universal. There's no one who doesn't belong. Now here's a related aspect then of what it means to be a big family. And that's that a big family has to be multi-generational as well. Now, it's one of the features of today's uh, days in Britain, isn't it? Today's age, that actually, I don't think we've been as dependent on grandparents as we have been probably for 50 years as we are now. We depend on my parents looking after Clara and Kate's parents doing that from time to time as well. And we are once again in British society living out the extended family uh, practice, at least if we live close to each other. And multi-generational uh, interdependence is a real feature of our society again today as, as uh, parents both work and, and as the people work longer hours as well. And uh, it's the same principle basically in the big family as the Bible understands the church. It needs to be multi-generational. It's an extended family from toddlers to centurions. And in the eyes of the Bible, this 
is a wonderful thing. And looking around this room, I can see certainly from teens up to probably 80s. And this is a fantastic thing. This is what God calls the church to be. And so the suggestion that any one age group is more important than another is completely wrong. Or the idea that the different generations don't need each other, again, is completely wrong. Now, we may have different congregations in this church. They do have different styles. They have different demographic profiles, and that reflects different patterns of life, different family stages, and the fact that we don't all fit in the same building at the same time. But just as so many families rely on multiple generations to make life and work happen today. So a church, if it's healthy, needs to have lots of intergenerational ministry going on. There's so much wisdom to be shared, so much love to be given. And when that's happening across the life of the church, whether it's through life groups, through mentoring, through prayer ministry at services, through listening, through welcoming, or through children's and youth ministry, or many other things, it's a truly precious thing. Let me give you a few examples in terms of what's happening in this church at the moment that I know about that really encourages me about intergenerational ministry. I love the fact that our daytime life group has actually really taken off. We started it two terms ago, and um, a whole load of young mothers who couldn't actually be in a small group because of their parental responsibilities now able to come on a Wednesday morning, and uh, there's a creche for them. And we've got a lady in her 70s and several other people who are giving their time in that creche that allows these young mothers to meet together. And all of them have grown so much. It's been the most incredible group. And it's been the most memorable thing in Kate's whole time in this church. She loves that group and what God has done through it. And yet it only happens because older people have been willing to help with that creche and allow those young mothers to receive. So that's one wonderful thing. I love the fact that there are students here who really want to uh, play classical instruments in the nine o'clock service and really develop the music there. I love the fact that we have so many teenagers and students and young adults helping with our children's ministry, mainstreams and special needs, and our youth ministry. I love that fact. I love the fact that loads of young adults, when we filled in those little surveys about connect groups, said that they wanted to join a connect group that ministered to the elderly. I love all of this stuff. This is what the big family is about. Not generations divided, not generations coming to church, but not meeting and mixing, but actually ministering to each other. Now, sometimes people talk about a a successful church or a sign of a healthy church being lots of young people coming along. Now, don't get me wrong. That is a great thing. But actually, I think the sign of a truly healthy church, yes, is lots of young people, but it's also lots of old people. And it's the fact that the two groups are ministering to each other and to those in the middle as well. That's what a truly healthy church is. It's where every age mixes, ministers, shares wisdom, learns from each other, cares for each other, and learns from each other. That's what God wants us to be. So now our fourth implication of the big family is this, that we're called to meet each other's needs. None of us can meet everyone else's needs, but we can all do something And when we have that desire to do that, God blesses us all. And there are lots of different needs out there, aren't there? Um, Let's just run through what they are. Obviously, there's relational needs. And all of us, at some point in our lives, are going to experience what it means to be lonely. And um, 
Let's be honest, that's what happens. It might happen because we're, we've just moved to a new town for university um, or maybe for work. It might happen because uh, we've just left home. It might happen because we're recently single. Um, we've recently become single or divorced or widowed or, or we already are single. It might be because some of our close friends or family have moved away. It could be because we change work. It could be because we change church. There's all sorts of reasons why at various points in our lives we're going to feel lonely. And one of the big ways in which God answers that need and addresses our desire for relationships and for community is through the church. Being a big family means we don't just value gathering together on a Sunday. We actually want to know each other. We actually want to make friends. We actually want to have people who know us well enough that they know what's going on in our lives and they walk with us through those ups and downs as we follow God together. That's what being a big family is about. It's about truly valuing our relationships, investing in them. And we can do that through Sunday services to a point, chatting before and afterwards. And I really encourage you to do that and enjoy the pizza and the drinks afterwards. But let's be honest, it really comes through other aspects of church life. Um, you know, if we're of an age group where there's an age-specific ministry for us, whether it's student work or youth work or um, young adults events or maybe it's S3 or maybe it's Cameo, I mean, that covers most people, to be pretty honest. So we've got those ways in which we can get to know people better. Obviously, we've got our life groups, really precious ways in which we can get to know each other better. We have social events going on. We've got men's ministry. We've got women's ministry. And then we can serve together and get to know people much better through that as well. Let's be honest, there are loads of ways of getting to know each other. And I encourage us all, whether we feel uh, brave or whether we feel shy or slightly fearful, let's pray that God would give us the confidence and help us as we seek to get to know each other better and that he will bring the people into our, our groups or on, onto our path that he wants us to get to know who can provide the friendship and the support that we need. God loves to do that. And I believe that he wants to do that in all of our lives. So there are our relational needs that we all have. Uh, other needs can be practical. Um, we know that, don't we? You know, maybe you're someone who doesn't have a car. And there'll be times in your life when someone who does could really help you. Maybe you're someone who's uh, quite frail or housebound at home. And uh, that's something that people can really help with. And Janie is uh, currently trying to recruit a team of people who can do practical jobs uh, for people uh, who aren't able to do them for themselves. Maybe you could do with that help. Maybe you'd like to join that team. And just to, once or twice a year, just go and be part of a team that really helps someone out practically. Maybe it's emotional needs that actually need to be met. And we've got a huge group of Christian listeners who are great at listening to people as they talk about what's going on in their lives and the difficulties or the challenges they're facing. We've got loads of mentors. I think we've trained 60 now. Would you like a mentor, someone who could help you to walk that Christian life and work through those issues as you seek to grow in your faith? We've got loads of life group leaders and they're trained and equipped to be people who can listen and support you emotionally as well. We've got the clergy, we've got um, counsellors that we can refer people to. So if you have emotional needs, make sure you let us know. God has equipped the church to cater for the emotional needs of each other. And equally, maybe you've got something to give in that area. Maybe you're a good listener. 
Maybe you've got a lot of life experience. Maybe you have a real heart for those who are suffering or struggling, emotionally or even spiritually. Why don't you approach us as a staff team and see if we can find a way in which you can be used more powerfully as you use those gifts. And so we've touched there on spiritual needs as well. God longs that our spiritual needs are met. And to be brutally honest, if all the input that's coming in is coming to church, it doesn't matter how great the sermons might be, how great the worship might be, actually we need an opportunity to process this stuff, to ask questions, to bounce ideas off each other, and to pray into that stuff. And so being in a small group, or at least having some friends that you can talk about spiritual things with, is so powerful. When we gather together, that's great. But make sure you've got some individual relationships and maybe a group of people that you can turn to to really process and really apply whatever you're learning here on a Sunday. So that's spiritual needs. All of these needs, God calls us to minister to each other. And whatever age, whatever stage of life we're at, there's always something that we can be blessed by others in. And there's always something that we can give to others. And God knows what they are. If you ask him, he can bless you through others and he can use you to bless others. So now my final implication of being a big family is this. And it's touching on that passage from Mark 10 that we did hear read, where Jesus welcomed the children. It's such a memorable passage, isn't it? And what's so striking about it, of course, is the disciples who think of these themselves at this point as you know, great spiritual leaders, uh, the, the disciples, you know, the, the people that Jesus trusted with leadership, they rebuke the children who are being brought to Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He says, bring them to me. It's amazing words, isn't it? Jesus wants the children. And what does that tell us? It tell us, tells us that Jesus prioritizes passing on our faith to the next generations. Absolutely critical. Why? Because if we don't, and I say this in all seriousness, there won't be a church left in a few decades' time. And let's be honest, the society that we live in today in the UK is becoming less and less Christian. We know that there are sociological forces at work that mean that each generation knows less of the Bible, has less contact with the Christian church, is further away from the worldview, the presuppositions that we might share as Christians. And so we have to be so intentional about passing on the faith. And so I suppose the thing that I want to raise with us in relation to this is do you feel a sense of responsibility to passing on faith to the next generations? Now, many of you have probably done a huge amount in your life already to do that. But if you haven't, or if you've still got more to give, please hear me that passing on faith to the children and young people that we have in this church and those that we could reach out to through this church is absolutely critical and it's absolutely central to the heart of Jesus. That's why he rebuked the disciples because he wanted it to be recorded in scripture that he welcomed the little children and that was absolutely important and vital to him. So I just raised the question, is there anything that you could do to be part of sharing and passing on faith to the next generation? It doesn't matter whether you're actually down with the kids in your early 20s or whether you're very far from that, like I am, <laughs> or 
any, many of you may feel that you are. There's actually loads of ways in which God can use us. It can be direct or it can be indirect. Here's just an example that I heard about this week. The Trekkers Holiday Club is happening in a few weeks' time. And if your DBS cleared, we would love to have you because we need a few people to do one-to-one stuff with those children. But also, we're looking for people who don't need to be DBS cleared, who may not have served in any ministry before, just to get alongside the parents at the cafe that happens during that week. Are you good at talking to people over a cup of tea? You can be any age. You can have any background and do that. And there were lots of practical ways that you could help us with that holiday club as well. If that's something you could do, let us know, and you'll find the details on the website um, or in the news sheet. And there are so many other ways that you can help in reaching children and young people as well. If God at any point is laying on that, that on your heart, whether it's to help us with our creche on Wednesday mornings for that life group, we need more people, or on Sundays, or in any of the other groups, practically, spiritually, in music, whatever it might be, or simply adopting a few children that you pray for regularly, can I encourage you to do that? Unless we invest in the children and young people, we won't have leaders of tomorrow. It's absolutely vital in a secularizing country like Britain. We need to invest, and God may be calling you to do that, to be part of that in this church. So, I think we've covered what being a big family means. I just want to then call us to respond however God might be calling you to respond. So here's a few simple suggestions that build on what I've already shared tonight. So if you're not in a life group or you're not in another group that provides that small group fellowship for you, why not join one? They're not meeting for the next six weeks, but I can give you a form afterwards and you can fill that in. We can get you in a group from September. We've got space We'd love to have you in one of those. What else could you do? Well, we've got these new connect groups coming in the autumn as well. Look out for those where you can meet up with people from time to time who share interests with you or share a passion for a particular cause or a particular people group. Why not join one of those? Come along to our church-wide social events and we're going to have another come dine with me in the autumn where people go around for lunch or dinner with each other. Uh, We're going to have an autumn quiz night Uh, We're going to have various other social things going on in particular age groups as well, and obviously loads of wonderful Christmas parties and things like that too. Here's another thing you could do. Why don't you you pledge each month just to seek to get to know one extra person that you don't know in church? Pray that God would lead you to that person, and then over the next few weeks, just look out for them and try and consolidate that by chatting to them again. If we all grew one more acquaintance, one more friend per month, what a difference that would make to the fellowship of our church. Why don't you ask God to do that? And I used to do that. Um, I do that still when I'm not involved in a service. I ask God, where do you want me to sit? Who do you want me to talk to this morning or this evening? God loves to do that. And we can get to know people. And chances are it may well be that you end up talking to someone who hardly knows anyone here. And you can introduce them to people that you already know. And it can make a huge difference. And here's another thing you can do as well. Why don't you just jot down a list of people that you're aware of and know a little bit about at the church. If it's not too long a list at least, this is a great thing to do. Pray for them maybe once a week. 
And why don't you just keep an eye out each time you come to church? If you know they're part of this congregation, just it's small enough now. We can do this with our four congregations. Just look out for them. Are they there? Have you seen them for a while? And if you haven't, why don't you just get in touch with them, drop them a text or an email, give them a call, and just see how they're doing. Or if you're not in a position to do that, but there's someone that you want to check they're okay, why not ask one of us just to get in touch with them and see how they are? That can make a huge difference. And I can tell you now from at least 20 people that I can think of in the last 10 or 20 years that I've known, it's when they've dropped off coming along to church and someone has followed them up. That's been absolutely crucial. And that's been the thing that's reconnected them. And it's been the thing that's actually made them realize that Christians actually do care. It's easy to talk to someone when you bump into them or sit next to them, isn't it? It takes a bit of effort to actually get in touch with someone who isn't there in front of you. And when we do that, people know they're truly valued. And we are opening ourselves up to God to be someone that he uses exactly the right time in the right way to help someone who really needs that support, that contact at that time. Here's a final thing that we could do then, just to put this into practice. If you've got capacity, or if you feel that actually there may be a new season coming in your life where God wants to use you in a different way, why don't you pray, God, is there a a service ministry? Is there a particular aspect of church life that I could serve in? I could be used by you. I could get to know people better. And I could grow in my gifts and experience the real blessing of being used by God. What could it be? It could be a welcome team. We need more people in those. It could be a prayer ministry team. You could be trained in prayer ministry. You could become a listener or mentor. You could join one of the teams that helps with our children's or youth work or the holiday club. You could join the creche rater. You could help to run our events for older people. You could offer to be someone who visits the housebound. And we're putting together a team to help us develop that ministry too. There's all sorts of other things you could do as well. You could volunteer on the desk. You could help with our flower arranging. It could be you could help cleaning, whatever it is. Is there something that God has shaped you to be able to do that you'd like to try? That you'd like to see whether God actually has gifted you in that way? Or you'd simply like to make a difference where that difference is most needed, where there's a gap, or where there's something that if we stood in that gap would be strategically so important for the church or for the people concerned. So what I want us to do now is just to take an opportunity to ask God. Now, I know many of us ask these questions regularly, but as we think about being a big family, in a good family, we know this, don't we? Everyone plays their part. Everyone blesses each other. Everyone looks out for each other. And everyone has a role. And that's what God wants us to do in our spiritual family here as well. So why don't we just take a moment just to invite God to speak to us about whatever he wants to lay on our heart. Maybe it's something that he wants us to volunteer to do. Or maybe it's a need that we're conscious that God wants us to seek help for. So let's just open ourselves up to him. Let's just invite his spirit just to speak to us and fill us as we 
wait on whatever he wants to say to us now. So, Father, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit now and speak to us now. Is there anything you want us to get involved in? Is there any help that we need? If you want to experience more of what it means to be in a family, You want to be used by him to be a blessing to others in that family. So Father, as we wait on you now, would you say whatever you want to say to us? Father, thank you that you speak. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you know us. Thank you that you want to help us. And as we respond to you now in the rest of this service, Lord, would you prompt us and give us courage to embrace whatever you have for our lives. Amen. Well, can I invite us to stand? And it would be great if the band uh, could come up as well. And um, we're going to do two things uh, for the rest of this service. We're going to have a time of communion. And we're going to have a time also where we can pray for people as well. And let's start by sharing communion together. And we've talked about being a big family, haven't we? And one of the uh, ways in which we can express that, is doing the thing that Christians all over the world for all time have done. We've shared bread and wine, remembering what Jesus has done for us and inviting him to unite us, to encourage us, to feed us. And that's what we're doing together now. So we're going to say some words together. I've amended them slightly to reflect what we're thinking about tonight. As we just remember God's presence, as we remember what he's done for us through Jesus, and as we prepare to receive bread and wine together and celebrate all that he's done. So, shall we stand and say these words together? The Lord is here. 